Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet the way nature intended by revitalizing our natural resources, minimizing waste and maximizing human potential. I trust you discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello, Wastebusters. Welcome to episode 32. Wow, things are really heating up worldwide, and I'm not just talking temperatures, but refreshing shifts in mindset, setting the wheels in motion for a much-needed switch to create a thriving planet where caring and sharing provides a force for the good of all. Having said that, we cannot afford to ignore the evidence nature is providing anymore. The repercussions of chemical pollution from plastics, farm fertilisers and pharmaceuticals in the ocean is having a devastating effect on the levels of plankton in our oceans. In fact, the results of two years of research from water samples from the Atlantic by Edinburgh marine biologist Dr Howard Dryden suggests 90% has vanished, a staggering difference to the 50% they anticipated. These microscopic organisms are fundamental to life on Earth. They form the bottom rung of the food chain that sustains life in our seas, that ultimately supports all life. As my guest Trish Allen says, when left to her own device, nature has a remarkable way of recovering. Trish is a trustee of Maharangi Wastebusters and linchpin to the growth of a thriving community in Matakana. She shares how the principles of permaculture have strengthened her relationship and respect for nature. And when we learn to work in harmony with Mother Earth, she can provide for all our needs. One of Trish's solutions to helping the planet respond is to turn off the tap, something the Court of Appeal in Christchurch has done by overturning consent previously given by Environment Canterbury, stopping two bottling companies from extracting 8.8 billion litres of water a year from Christchurch aquifers. Fielding, Te Awamutu and Waimati communities are currently battling councils over proposed incinerators to manage waste that would emit massive amounts of carbon dioxide, polluting land, air and water, which would put further pressure on the planet's ability to sustain life. Massive capital would be needed to install them, capital that would be better invested in funding solutions to regenerate waste to a better place and create a circular economy. There's a petition for this to show your support in the show notes. India's Prime Minister has just implemented a new ban that makes it illegal to produce, import, stock or distribute 19 single-use plastic items as a way to reduce and manage the 14 million tonnes of plastic they're faced with on an annual basis. Great stewardship like this, taking responsibility for what you're producing as a country, unlike us New Zealanders, who are still packing off plastic waste to countries like Malaysia, who don't have ways to properly manage our waste, and end up burning it, which has caused an increase in cancer and asthma. There's a petition to show your support to stop this, also in the show notes. 
The Sustainable Business Network are currently compiling a directory of businesses operating with the values of a circular economy, which include designing out waste and pollution, keeping products and material in use, and regenerating natural systems. So if you want to get on board, you can find the full details of the categories on their website. Link in the show notes. Did you know 34 kilograms of ore is needed to be mined using 100 litres of water and 20.5 grams of cyanide to obtain the 62 metals and metalloids to produce just one smartphone. Last week, the European Union agreed a law requiring a universal charger for all smartphones and portable devices like tablets, earbuds, digital cameras, headphones and speakers. Eventually, laptops will have to be rechargeable by the same USB charger. It's estimated that the new rules will save consumers around 412 million New Zealand dollars a year that they currently spend on unnecessary chargers. It will also reduce e-waste by about 11,000 tonnes annually. There's a great company in Auckland called GoodTech who sell refurbished phones that come with a 12-month guarantee. And if you're looking for a replacement computer, I can highly recommend New Zealand laptops who also do refurbished items. I bought my first MacBook from them and it lasted me 12 years. So I went back when it died to find a replacement. Their service is great and the guys are real geeks, so they really know their stuff. Now for some fantabulous news about our native kakapo. The Department of Conservation are celebrating the second biggest season of chicks since records began in the 1970s. 55 of the 60 chicks born have reached juvenile age, creating a total of 216 new chicks since the records began. Kakapo are great characters. If you want a really good laugh, I can highly recommend watching what's now become a classic clip on YouTube, where Stephen Fry witnesses Sirocco the Kakapo shagging a conservationist's head while he was filming. Now for this week's delightful guest, Trish Allen, who describes how permaculture is a panacea for a purposely driven lifestyle, where care for people and the planet is shared, creating a lifestyle of no waste so your needs are always provided for. Welcome to the show, Trish. It's absolute delight to have you with me, especially since you're from an organisation called Wastebusters, and that's what I call my listeners. I just couldn't resist the chance of reaching out to find out more about the work that you do. Kia Philippa. Thank you for having me on. It's lovely. So could you explain to the listeners what Wastebusters is all about? As far as I know, it's three-week cycling centres. Yes, So Mahurangi Wastebusters was formed back in 2018. Myself, together with some others, we got this charitable trust established. Our mission is to reduce waste to landfill, promote a circular economy, and to undertake waste minimisation educational programmes to raise awareness and achieve behavioural change. So we set up this trust and then Uh, we partnered with another organisation, Localised, and in 2019, we won a contract with Auckland Council to take over our two local transfer stations and to turn them into community recycling centres. So 
Our targets were pretty big, 50% diversion from landfill in 2020, which we achieved, going up to 65% in 2021 and 70% in 2022. We haven't achieved those targets yet because of COVID, lockdowns, all the Mm. disruptions. But, you know, that's still our vision. That's where we want to get to. 50% in your first year is massive. And they are very high standards. You're setting yourself very early on. Yeah, it was an exciting project. And we dived straight in and we're now doing 24 different waste streams that we send for reprocessing either in New Zealand or some goes overseas. Yeah, anything that we can keep out of a landfill, mm. we, we take out. So and, what was uh, the impetus behind starting the trust? Yeah, well, going back a bit, I guess probably that comes back to my interest in permaculture. So right. a good 35 years ago, my late husband, Joe Polisher, and I discovered permaculture Now, there's a lot of definitions of permaculture, but I'll give you a a short and sweet one. Permaculture is about designing our lives to leave the planet better than we found it. It's based on the three ethics, care of the earth, care of the people, share the resources and limit consumption. Or put more simply, earth care, people care, fair share. So we discovered this way back in the early 80s. And we were totally inspired by it. And we wanted to live our lives by these ethics. So we bought a piece of rundown farmland near Matakana. It was 50 acres of weed-infested, pest-infested, eroded land. And our vision was to turn it into a permaculture paradise, which we did. Over 25 years, we planted 15,000 trees. It was highly productive. We had um, animals, we had all the different birds you could imagine. So we started off wanting to tread lightly on the earth for ourselves. But then a lot of people got interested in what we were doing. So we started to organise regular tours and courses. We built a house using mud bricks for the internal walls and an earth roof. So that was pretty unusual back in the early 90s. Wow. So that attracted a lot of attention. Uh, We had an orchard of 800 fruit and nut trees. We helped set up the local farmer's market and we used to sell our produce there. Yeah, and then groups started to come. We had lots of the local schools come bring kids up and then we used to have groups come from Japan, from the Permaculture Centre of Japan. People came from all over, local colleges and Uh, technical institutes yeah that was an amazing project it was very satisfying in fact we ended up on country calendar in 2005 oh wow (laughs) I know the cameraman Peter Young he lives close by to you because he was involved in the film about the Rossi in Antarctica my great 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 grandfather discovered the Rossi and wow um, Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And I had the privilege of going there six years ago. And through the journey, it was 12, 13 years ago when the film first came out and I met Peter. And then when the marine protection was given in 2016, David Ainsley, who's the ecologist, he was on his way down to Antarctica for about the 40th time. 
And we met in Matakana because Peter had put on a special screening of it to show the locals where he's from. So I got to meet David because a lot of my connections had been virtually. So it was really lovely to see the people behind it. I guess it's a similar thing. Had they known then what they set out to do, which took 10 years or so, it could quite easily have put them off. Could you say the same kind of thing of your own experience? Because a blank canvas of 50 acres really run down. It could be quite overwhelming. It was a little bit daunting in the beginning because there was nothing there. Joe built us a, a house truck. So we lived in a house truck with no power or phone for the first two years. To make a phone call, we had to get in the two-ton truck and drive down to the village to a phone box. Wow. <laughs> different these days. Wow. Yeah. But it was really exciting and the land responds remarkably fast. Once you start nurturing it, it's just amazing. Because that land had a sad history. The early settlers had come in, cut down the big trees for timber, mm. burnt off the reeds to create pasture for sheep and cattle. But it's very fragile land because it's rainforest land, basically. It's steep hills. And of course, in the heavy rains, the little bit of topsoil that there was washed off down into the river and out into the harbour. So our biggest job when we got there was to build soil. We had to grow soil. Wow. So we had to nurture microorganisms, compost, and using animals. So yeah, it was really exciting. So as you said, nature teaches us so many lessons. You know, there's things there for a reason and they stop the the soil eroding basically trees and things like that and we're so ready Mm -hmm. to get in and clear things and supposedly make things better without sitting back and understanding how nature works and that's the beauty of permaculture because I actually thought in my ignorance that permaculture was more of a horticultural aspect I hadn't actually appreciated that the people were involved, which makes it even more scrumptious for myself because we need to build that relationship with nature. Absolutely. And yes, a lot of people think that permaculture is a gardening strategy, but it's about much, much more than that. It's about energy efficiency. It's combating climate change, revitalizing soil life, embracing eco-innovation, strengthening everything local, producing no waste, Um, It's about community development, relocalizing everything. There's a lot more to permaculture than just gardening. It's about healthy homes, eco-friendly homes. I came across the other day a global organisation basically called localisation. So it seemed to be a term. I've always said, and um, some people call me naive, that we need to focus on that and look after people and the land in our back door, and it will have a ripple effect as opposed to looking at the massive globe things because cultures and land is different the world over. That way we can learn so much. So what are the key things that you really learnt in your journey? Well, nature responds really quickly given the chance. Stop putting poisons, stop putting chemicals on the land, artificial fertilisers, and give nature a chance. It responds very quickly. Over 20 years, we totally transformed that land that we had. How satisfying, and to have helped other people along the way, hey? Yeah, it was a pretty good feeling, yeah. 
sadly, my husband, Joe, he passed away in 2008. So I kept the farm going for two years, but on my own, it was too much. So I sold the farm and I moved to the village. I built myself a little echo house down here, a little wooden house, and then got stuck in and done a few things around this area. So you obviously lived in your earth house for a number of years. Yes, yes. And what were the advantages of an earth brick house? What did you like about that? Uh, Natural building material. We dug up the clay from the backyard. Very low tech, low cost, but very labour intensive. But we had the time, so we made the mud bricks ourselves, thousands of them. That was fun. It took a long time to build yeah, because we were trying to earn money as we went along. But it's a beautiful house. It's very energy efficient. It's passive solar, so it's sited to capture the winter sun and store it in thermal mass and tile floors and the earth bricks. And then in summertime, the angle of the roof cuts out the sun. So it's cool in summer, warm in winter. And so I've applied the same principles to my wooden house that I had built in the village. So again, when the sun's shining, it's toasty as in this house. And in winter, I've got a little wood burner that heats it when the sun's not shining. It is taking those lessons and being able to apply them. That's fantastic. So since being in the village, I've had a few projects. Ten years ago, a friend and I set up the Matakana Community Garden, which is right in the centre of the village, down next to our village hall. But we had a vision. We wanted to create a place where we could teach people to grow food, create community, create a nice welcoming space for people to be together. So we started the garden. And in the beginning, we made it really small because we didn't know how many people would show up. So we have a Monday morning working bee for about an hour and a half, two hours. It's been a great success and we've expanded the garden twice and we've put in 50 fruit trees. Wow. So now it's a thriving little community garden. Every Monday we have between 6 and 10 or 12 people show up and we garden all together. We share out the produce and any surplus we have a little store where we put our surplus for people to come and take. That's been a lot of fun. That's one of my favourite mornings of the week. Monday morning, (laughs) go down to the community garden and connect with our our lovely gardeners. There's a lot of wisdom in the community that you can draw on. Preservation of food is a big one as well. Yeah, it just seems particularly relevant in this funny COVID time. I think there's been an upsurge in people wanting to be a little bit more resilient, have a little bit of food growing around their home, being part of a community garden. It's really nice to see that people are coming along to learn a bit. So we garden for about an hour and a half or two hours, and then we go and drink coffee for another hour. and (laughs) (laughs) And then the other thing that we've got going in our village, it wasn't started by me, but I was one of the foundation members, is a green swap. So every Friday morning in summer and once a fortnight in winter, we meet down by the river here in Matakana and everybody brings the surplus from their gardens and we swap. It's really great. So, for example, I don't have chickens here in the village, but I have a big surplus of fruit and sometimes veg and all sorts of things. So we swap and it only takes half an hour And it's very casual. You don't have to become a member. 
you just show up if you've got something in your garden you want to get rid of because you've got too much. It's amazing. It works so well. People are really generous. Mm. The green swappers have a real generosity of spirit. So if nobody wants what you've got, everyone's saying, oh, take it for your chickens. Take it, take it. So it's really fun. So that's short and sweet, Friday morning, half an hour. And uh, we managed to pass on a lot of produce that we couldn't otherwise use. And both these examples that you've given go back to the philosophy behind permaculture, connecting with people, because I definitely believe it's that connection that we've been missing, that particularly Mm. through this time, and it is sharing that wisdom and uplifting the spirit and adding value to something that's incredible. Yeah. So how did you become involved in Wastebusters? Were you one of the instigators of it? Yes. Back in 2018, we found out that the two local transfer stations Auckland Council owned and that the 20-year lease that they'd had was running out and council was going to put it up for public tender. So we got ourselves organised, we partnered with Localised and we put in a tender and we won it. So we got to take over these two sites and turn them into community recycling centres. You say so, we, so who was involved? Myself and three other trustees on the Mahurangi Wastebusters Trust, and we've partnered with Localised, which is a social enterprise owned by the Zero Waste Network. So okay. the Zero Waste Network is about, I think, I don't know, 70 or so organisations throughout the country. One of the founding principles of permaculture is produce no waste. So up on Rainbow Valley Farm and my life here in the village, I have tried to live by that, not just minimising waste, but trying to produce no waste. So what's the difference? uh, Well, if you're minimising your waste, that's good because you're trying to create as little as possible. But if you're producing no waste, you're eliminating it altogether. So... It's like turning off the tap. You know, we have landfills and they're getting full and there needs to be new landfills and there's all discussion about how can we divert this or divert that. So it's like a bathtub and it's all filling up with water and it's starting to overflow and you're talking about, well, what will we do? Will we put a a drain in here or something there? We've got to turn off the tap. We've got to stop producing it in the first place. And so at Mahurangi Wastebusters, we're all about the circular economy. We can't go on, just take, make, dispose. Mm. We've got to get to the stage where we take the resources out of the earth, because that's where the main environmental harm comes, and then design them in such a way that they go round and round in a circle and we're not sending them to landfill. But as well as doing the recycling centres, We're also doing things like running repair cafes. Those are the pop-up events where we have skilled volunteers repairing things and we invite the public to come along and bring their things to be repaired. So we've done three of those. Um, Unfortunately, we've had to cancel three because of COVID lockdowns and things, but we're going to have more in the future. So what sort of things turn up there? Things to be mended. So we have people on sewing machines. Right. We have knife sharpeners, tool sharpeners. The most popular is electrical appliances. Yeah. So we usually have some electricians and a tag and test person because we have to make sure that things are safe. 
I can remember one repair cafe, there was one toaster that was not repairable. <laughs> it was taken out onto the back lawn and poof, it went up and smoked. So <laughs> clearly we have to be very careful. We have suitably qualified people to make sure they're being safely repaired. So things like toasters, hair dryers, hot water jugs, small electrical appliances are the most popular. Yep. We've also had in the past people mending bikes, showing people how to mend tyres, how to fix bikes. Once we were lucky enough to have a jeweller came along and did little repairs on jewellery, yes, only the once, but he's not in the area now. But then we've had a musician who was repairing guitar strings. Oh, wow. um, Yeah, so it, it differs, depends on who's available to come along. Mm. Um, once we had somebody doing chainsaw maintenance, so helping people oil them properly and showing them how to sharpen their chains and things. We're going to have some more of those in future. There's just been uh, a delivered to Parliament and Repair yes. Cafe New Zealand has just got their website up and things. So it's fantastic. It's Absolutely. really gathering momentum here. It's big in Europe, but it's yes. lovely yes. To, to see... And as you say, little things like people who can tend to musical instruments and things like that, it's very specialised stuff, but there's also the general stuff because, I mean, toasters and kettles and things are only under $20 to go and buy a new one. So it's about changing that behaviour and creating that ethos that people are wanting to not go out and buy. And the less we do that, then the manufacturers get the vibes that the demand isn't there anymore. So there isn't so much made. I know. It's just so ludicrous that one tiny little thing goes wrong with an appliance. You take it back to the shop where you bought it and they say, oh, it's not worth repairing. It's cheaper to buy a new one. Yep. We've got to get away from them. And, yes, Mahurangi Waste Buses, we were big supporters of the right to repair petitions. So, yes, let's hope that will make a change. Absolutely. Some of the other things that we do, we've supported a group that run fabric rescue events. So some of the fabric that we've diverted from landfill and some of the fabrics that people have stashed in their cupboards and we've invited them to bring them out and we've had two big sales. Well, the fabric rescue people have and we've supported them by supplying fabrics and by helping them with haul hire and get post machines and that kind of thing. So it's like a big fabric sale and they were so well supported. We had them up here in the Matakana Hall and we had hundreds of people come through and buy fabrics. So those were really exciting events. And we're also now working in early childhood centres. We've right. got facilitators going in and helping do a bit of a waste audit and seeing how the centres can divert waste. Usually it comes down to food scraps from the lunch boxes and then we find out what they want do they want a worm farm or a compost bin and then our facilitator does a little bit of mat time with the kids she's got some kiwi puppets so she talks about being tidy kiwis and composting the food scraps and how the worms love it and all of that Talking lunch boxes, it is amazing there's so many ready packets nowadays it's also educating the parent insofar as 
buy a big pot of yogurt and put it into something yourself. We're so used to easy convenience, you know, like buying a big packet of crisps or something like that, or putting some fruit and nut in something as opposed to a muesli bar or something in packet. It's a real shift in attitude to things. So once you get the children on board, it's amazing how much that they can put pressure on their parents to change their behaviour, isn't it? Absolutely. That's exactly right. That's why we're wanting to start with the little kids. Yeah, so we've started that work and then we're looking at trying to be part of the Zero Waste, Zero Carbon program in schools. So working on that at the moment. The other thing that we do is at events, community events like festivals and AMP show, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we put in the three bin system for the waste. And then we man the bin stations with volunteers and we help people decide what goes into the compost, what goes into the recycling and what has to be thrown away. It's great because it's it, we don't take the rubbish off people. Mm. We encourage them to think about what goes in what bin. It's really quite educational and people are really grateful. You know, people say, oh, wow, I didn't know you could compost that or oh, well, I, I thought that was recyclable, but oh, I see, no, it's not, and that kind of thing. We There's do more and more festivals that are promoting themselves with that green attitude and also encouraging people to take their own plates and cups and knives and forks and things. You know, takeaway material is massive. It makes a huge impact. And I think, you know, if we could knock that one out of the park, it would be brilliant. Exactly. And it's basically what I said before, we've got to turn off the tap. Yeah, we've got to do better. Just deciding we're going to, okay, can compost that we can recycle that we've got to do better. We've got to turn off the tap. And if the festivals that ask people to bring their own food containers and their own water bottles and their own reusable coffee cups, they are the ones leading the way. That's the way to go. Turn off the tap. We've got two recycling centres, one in Wellsford and one in Snell's Beach. The Snell's Beach one is our biggest one, but that one is getting some redevelopment work done on it at the moment. It's getting resurfaced and roadways put in. So we haven't got a shop there right now. When the redevelopment work is finished, we're going to have a big shop. We're getting a big shed. And we'll be able to reopen, we call it the Mahu Mall, for all your family needs. (laughs) (laughs) And we have it stocked up with bicycles and pots and pans and cups and beds and furniture and tables and chairs. It's been an amazing success. But as I said, it's just closed at the moment for the redevelopment work. So when people bring reusable things into our Snell's Beach site at the moment, we're trucking them up to Wellsford. As well as our Wellsford Recycling Centre, we've hired an old warehouse and we've turned it into a shop. So we call it the Rusty Station and Mm -hmm. we put all the reusables in there. We've been open one or two days a week, but at the moment we're thinking of opening more days. You wouldn't believe what people bring to throw away. So it's very satisfying knowing that we can take those things and put them in a shop. And we sell them very cheaply. We keep the prices low. You can get tools, dog kennels, corrugated iron, household goods, furniture, clothes. We separate 24 different waste streams to send for reprocessing. So what kind of things? So like e-waste and polystyrene goes down to Abilities in Auckland. 
Abilities is an amazing organisation that employs people with disabilities. They dismantle the e-waste, they recover what they can. They're certified, high certification for doing it really properly. How inclusive is that? That's brilliant. Yeah, and it's meaningful work for mm. those people. They also take polystyrene, which they melt down into blocks, and that gets sent off, I think, to other countries to be reused for things like picture frames and stuff like that. As you probably know, plastics, one, they can be recycled in New Zealand by Flight Plastics in Wellington, so they go off there. Uh, plastic, two, get made into drain pipes and things like that. We also take soft plastics, which go down to be made into fence posts. We take Tetra Pak, and that goes off to Save Board in Hamilton to be made into a kind of a plywood. All the batteries, of course, we take fluoro bulbs and tubes, which go down to Interwaste, and they take out the mercury. As you know, mercury in the environment is highly toxic, yep. so they safely look after the mercury. Of course, uh, scrap metal is highly valuable. Mm. So scrap metal goes off to scrap metal people. Tires go off to Green Gorilla. And they, Green Gorilla is an organisation in Auckland. They do a lot of waste diversion. They're really good people. The tires, they either process them for eroding or I think underneath playgrounds or something. But they also send the chipped up tires up to Portland Cement for fuel. So, yeah, any stream that we can divert where it is properly dealt with, recycled, reused, all part of the circular economy, we do. It's amazing. I mean, as far as the tyres are concerned, I've seen even a couple of years ago how they have been using them for roading surfaces or soft surfaces for playgrounds and things like that. But talking to Nigel Benton a few weeks ago on the construction industry, you can have a big centre like Auckland, but when it's having a number of these organisations that can actually manage the volume of goods that actually come their way. So, you know, going back to the localisation thing, if we were to put our focus in growing these facilities across New Zealand, it would really help, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. The other thing that we're doing, which is my passion, is we're making compost. So we offer the general public, they can drop off their food scraps for free. And we also collect business waste. We collect hops from a local brewery. We collect from the Matakana Farmers Market. We collect their compostables because that's a zero waste market. And we collect fish skins from the local fish smokehouse and we turn it into compost we have a little composting unit using the carbon cycle boxes it's a manual system but later on we hope to grow that into a more of a mechanized system do you have compost available to people that has been recycled we usually do but at the moment because of the site redevelopment work we're a little bit behind with our compost coming through, but we will have again in the future. Fantastic. You were talking about e-waste and things like that. Mobile phones are a big thing and chargers. I heard the other day that there is pressure to actually ensure that there is only one charger. So you don't have to buy another charger or they don't have to pack a charger with a phone. That would make a huge difference, wouldn't it? As you say, it's turning off the tap. 
I mean, I can remember moving and over time collecting these things and looking at them like when I moved and clearing out the garage, I had this plethora of chargers and wires and things like that. And it's like, nobody wants them. What can you do with them? And so to only have one charger for everything would just be phenomenal. Do you know much more about it? No, but I think it's a wonderful thing to mm. happen. That is absolutely brilliant. One charger, please. <laughs> that would eliminate so much waste. I think I reported a couple of weeks ago, there was a scientist looking into the structure of seashells. And it was the abalone, the, our power shell, the way that the crystals form that if there's a crack or something, that it actually stops it fracturing and going any further. So they've applied this same structure with flaked glass. And now, I think it's in Amsterdam, they've now used this to strengthen windscreens and mobile phone screens. So there, it's going to cut down the actual waste and things there. I love Einstein's quite look deep into nature and you'll find the answers and that is a prime example of it isn't it absolutely yeah the other thing that is happening in our area here Auckland's waste at the moment goes to a landfill in Redvale which is in Dairy Flat just north of Auckland apparently there's only 10 years more life in that landfill so waste management is wanting to open a brand new mega landfill in the Dome Valley on State Highway 1 between Walkworth and Wellsford. I've seen the signs a number of times when I've been travelling down that way, yeah. Well, we're all horrified at that because the Dome Valley is a pristine area. It's got streams, nature, and and it drains into the Hotio River and up into the Kaipara Harbour. So... The the local iwi and the local groups are just absolutely horrified. So there's a group that has been formed, Fight the Tip, Save the Dome, and they are really working so hard raising awareness. The landfill got consent from Auckland Council, but it's being appealed to the Environment Court. Is there somewhere that listeners can go to to show their support or do anything? They have a Facebook page. Right. They have a Give a Little page to help them with their environment court costs. Obviously, they're going to have to raise yeah. a lot of money to pay expert witnesses, lawyers, etc. It's just ridiculous in this day and age because you don't actually have to be a scientist to recognise the damage that is being done. And my link with Antarctica is that year on year, the scientists are trying to create more marine protected areas and the Save Our Sands at Mungafai and Parkery. To me, it's common sense. I can't believe why people are allowing these things to go on. Yeah, I'm baffled by it, basically. It's so shameful. Well, I'm not baffled because the waste has to go somewhere. Yeah. As it goes back to turning off the tap. If we've got all this waste, it's got to go somewhere. So it behoves people to take responsibility and stop making it. So that's the place where we're working at Mahogany Waste Busters. It's a solution-based thing. So it's all very well, as you say, you know, we can keep clearing things up, but the solution really is we can manage it so long as it doesn't get any bigger and bigger and bigger. And by turning off the tap, that's the answer. 
So in your journey, I mean, obviously you had a, a beautiful relationship with your husband and like minds come together and it really blossomed. Is there a personal book that actually has influenced you on your journey at all? Oh, very definitely. The early books that came out about permaculture, living our lives in such a way that we leave the planet better than we found it. They completely inspired us and influenced us very definitely any in particular um well there's one by someone called rosemary morrow called earth users guide to permaculture it's so easily accessible beautifully illustrated easy to understand and that that would have to be my favorite i think it's a later book it wasn't one of the early ones more recently I'm actually reading it now for the fourth time. <laughs> I love it. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimura. And she's a North American Indian woman. She's written this book about indigenous wisdom, scientific knowledge, and the teachings of plants. It's such a beautiful book. She evokes a deep reverence and respect for the natural world. She talks a lot about reciprocity, how we take from nature, but we also need to give back. Wow. So is there a quote or anything that you use that you stand by? Apart from turn off the tap, I think that's a good one. (laughs) Well, there's a few. Can I give you a few? Yeah, do. Over at Wastebusters, we have one up on the wall. It says, we don't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions doing it imperfectly. One quote, when people say, oh gosh, it's all such bad news. There's no hope, is there? Well, I think there is. I'm a fan of Noam Chomsky. Yes, uh, not surprising. (laughs) And one of his quotes If you assume there is no hope, you guarantee there will be no hope. But if you assume there are opportunities to change things, then there is a possibility you can contribute to making a better world. So you've got to believe that you can and it can happen. And then I do love the quote from Goethe. It's a very, very old quote. The moment you definitely commit yourself is the moment providence happens. All kinds of things occur to help you, which otherwise would not happen. A whole stream of advantageous events flow from your decision. They bring all kinds of unexpected chance meetings and material assistance, which no one could have foresaw. Whatever you can do or dream you can do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power and magic. To make your dream come true, begin. Now, isn't that just so powerful? Absolutely. And it's the basic philosophy behind a lot of my work in energy and things. It's wherever you put your focus. It's actually setting the wheels in motion and taking one step at a time and tapping into the indigenous wisdom and creating that hope. Because like you say, if we focus on all the problems and things, it can be quite overwhelming. But if we see there is something, I mean, my family motto is hope lightens difficulties. And I hold that in my heart because there is hope and centuries of wisdom that says energy flows where your focus goes, something along that. I can't remember the exact thing, but 
it is uplifting. And having someone like yourself behind these organizations with the hope and inspiring community, it helps people see there's something beyond what they're being fed by the mass media. And again, as a counselor, so many people come with their problems, but I focus on creating what they want and building an opportunity for them to move in that direction, which actually takes your focus off the problem and puts less pressure on it. And I think that is the whole movement where we need to be going. It's fantastic. Yes, I think that's why I love permaculture so much, because permaculture is about solutions. We have the solutions. We know what to do. So, yeah, I agree. So when you're not full of hope, I'm sure you're human like the rest of us. What do you do to get yourself out of a funk? Go in the garden. Get my hands in the soil. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprising. And if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be and why? It's a hard one. If I could change in some small way people's relationship with nature, our attitude to nature, that we're part of nature, not separate to it. And nature is not a resource to be exploited. Uh, I think that would make me happy. And as you said, going back to the braiding sweet grass, it's actually that reverence for nature and the abundance. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. It has been very insightful and very educational, and I'm sure it will go from strength to strength. I did try and drop in when I was down visiting a friend a few months ago, but it was actually shut, the one at Snell's Beach. So when I'm passing next, I'll come in and see, because it sounds like a fantastic organisation. And thank you so much for your time and effort and input to the world. Much appreciated. (laughs) Thank you. Welcome. Take care. Bye. Isn't Trish a well of wisdom, information and inspiration? An absolute treasure for the Matakana community. Don't forget Bunnings now have household battery deposit boxes in the front of their stores and the warehouse have a recycle initiative that runs for another week until the 26th of July to repurpose old and broken toys. Next week, I'm joined by Judy Cranston, singer, songwriter and musician who uses her creativity to entertain, educate and empower people to express their true selves in a way that allows their soul to shine. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform so you don't miss out on future episodes. And don't forget to get in touch if you have a subject or guest you'd like me to consider. My email is info at philiparos.com. So until next week, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.